This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into Inside the Archives. I'm your host, Marty Rosenbaum, XRT's digital content producer and all things social media. Fleetwood Mac certainly isn't the poster child of feuding musicians, but they've grabbed the mantle at this moment with their lineup changes. Lindsey Buckingham was fired from the band and replaced with Mike Campbell and Neil Finn. The changes reignited decades-old drama with Buckingham and former bandmates Stevie Nicks and Mick Fleetwood taking shots at each other in the media. Naturally, fans have had mixed reaction and, as we've seen on XRT's social media pages, taking sides of each artist, blaming one at the other side, and shrugging their shoulders exclaiming, who the hell cares, get over yourself. But musicians have been feuding for ages now. You can even go back and trace rivalries between classical musicians like Mozart and Salieri. Saw that movie. Saw that movie. <laughs> well, there, there's a little insight into who we have on here. But you have Mozart and Salieri, uh, Brahms and Tchaikovsky, many more. Feuds can range from the petty, the strange, to the downright nasty. And they bubble up over time as a culmination of a myriad of factors that contribute to it. But for all the animosity that comes from feuding... It's not the be-all, end-all for musicians. In fact, I think it can be a net positive. And joining me to discuss this is XRT's Marty Lennertz, where we're going to talk about rock and roll feuds through the ages and some that are continuing on to this day. So, Marty, before we begin, mm-hmm. what's your take on feuding in music? I think it's a bad thing. I don't see anything positive coming out of a feud because most times the feuds are inter-band feuds which means they're just not making music or it, it, it lends to the band breaking up and uh, nothing good comes from it, I don't think. Well, I'm going to take the counter opinion and think that it's fantastic for music. It's fantastic for music. Maybe not fantastic. I'll take that they that hate back. each other. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good for their interpersonal relations, mm-hmm. but in order to help the band monetarily, I think it's great. And I have some numbers to back this up. Oh, Let's my gosh. Number crunching here because I would look at it guy. that the the, uh, the the feuds, the feuds usually don't become as pronounced. Don't don't the feuds don't actually happen until the band has already had their success. Right, it's come afterwards. It comes afterwards, and all it I don't know what good comes from that. Well, I have some numbers for you. Okay, so we're going to go to the hip hop world where feuding is pretty commonplace. There's you think? <laughs> There's noted instances where album sales have jumped exponentially following a feud. A 2002 New York Times article I found reported that a feud between Nas and Jay-Z led to sales of Nas's latest album, Stillmatic, to jump more than 1.6 million copies at the time. The main argument this article is making is that feuds generate publicity with little or no expense involved, oftentimes where recordings of albums, promotion of albums, artists see very little of the money, hmm. this can be a cheap, no-cost way to boost recognition of the album and to hear what exactly they have to say about the other person. Gee, do you think these are manufactured feuds? Mm, I don't know. Well, similarly, a report from Nielsen indicates that in 2009, the previous three albums from Rick Ross saw a 62% total increase in sales, 
while 50 Cent's previous albums saw a 74% increase in sales following their public feuding with one another. And I don't know if it's them or if this was the New York Times article, but they were referencing two artists that, you know what, it was a New York Times article. They were talking about Ja Rule and DMX, who had been feuding with each other over the course of multiple albums, but they're both signed to the same label. Mm. So, do they have uh, the same management? They probably they probably do. I don't know off the top of my head, but the point of it being is that these public rivalries saw physical manifestations of album sales. Oh, in the rock and roll world, I don't know if that is the case or not. If because, like we said before, oftentimes these stories come out after the fact, where you hear about band members that absolutely hated each other, didn't like the creative input that they were giving, and you don't hear about this until. The album is already out. It's already recorded. The tour is already taking place. Mm-hmm. This is more so after the fact. But according to Nielsen, in 2017, this was the first year where rock and roll was not the most consumed genre. It's been topped by hip hop in terms of album sales, streams, and you know whatever other metrics they're using right. for music consumption. Well, I, I think what we have to define here in terms of feuds, uh, all the uh, hip hop feuds that you're talking about, those are artist versus artist who are not in the same group. It's not like you know members of Wu Tang Clan Clan are fighting with each other. Right. It's uh, it's it's yeah. It's the main artist. Whereas in the rock world, it seems like most feuds, most of them, are inner band feuds, where the members of the band just don't get along. Right. And oftentimes they're related. They're brothers. Now we have examples of rock feuds that we're going to get to in just a little bit, and. Perusing over the list, that's exactly right. It's mostly inner band feuds mm-hmm. or sibling feuds. There's very few feuds that have gone from one band to another. I think a lot of those feuding that are between bands is mostly between fan bases. Right. If you're going to argue that the Rolling Stones are better than the Beatles, the Stones and the Beatles may love each other, but their fans could not be more polarized when mm-hmm. it comes to that. Why do you think that's the case in rock and roll where you have inner band feuds as opposed to feuding between artists? Oh, because it's bands. And a band is is like a family. And in many cases, band members have been friends since they were kids. And it's uh, it's really hard to maintain those relationships over a long, long period of time, especially when money becomes involved and creative tension becomes involved. A band like U2, who, I don't know, they seem to get along pretty well. It's the same members for 30-some years. That's almost unprecedented that uh, the same four people who grew up together going to high school and met and formed this band uh, can continue to do that. For some reason, they get along very well. Other bands have a, a more difficult time doing that. But then again, as you said before, uh, sibling uh, rivalry certainly comes into it. And don't get between two brothers or two sisters. That's a tough one. Yeah, and that's pretty clear in mm-hmm. some of these cases. Davies brothers, Gallagher brothers. Right. But like Fleetwood Mac. Now, Fleetwood Mac is, you know, let's say the model for the rock feud that we're talking about right now because it's current. Uh, That band has had an amazing history over 50 years. Uh, Many different members in and out. There have been something like 18 members of that band. And this isn't the first time that Lindsey Buckingham has uh, has left the band for one reason or another. He was gone for 12 years Mm -hmm. from the 80s into the 90s, replaced by Billy Burnett, who I just saw is upset himself that he was not asked to come back and replace Lindsey Buckingham because he did it in those tours in the 80s and 90s. Right. Um, the first reason they gave for this Fleetwood Mac 
was that he, Lindsey Buckingham was not available to tour. And they want to tour. They want to go out on the road and play their songs. And that's the first reason they gave, which sounds like an official, okay, he just wasn't available kind of thing. But I guess it goes a little deeper than that. Yeah. The story gets weirder and weirder because the very first public comments that they gave about it outside of being excited to have Mike Campbell and Neil Finn be a part of it was in a Rolling Stone interview, uh, Stevie Nicks said, we were supposed to go into rehearsal in June and he wanted to put it off until November 2019. That's a long time. I just did 70 shows on a solo tour. As soon as I finish one thing, I dive back into another. Why would we stop? We don't want to stop playing music. We don't have anything else to do. This is what we do. So on the surface, sounds like a simple scheduling conflict, that mm-hmm. there weren't any personalities that or egos that may have gotten involved and conflicted. However, when Meet Fleetwood was asked about it, he said, Words like fired are ugly references as far as I'm concerned. Not to hedge around, but we arrived at the impasse of hitting a brick wall. This was not a happy situation for us in terms of the logistics of a functioning band. To that purpose, we made a decision that we could not go on with them. Majority rules in terms of what we need to do as a band and go forward. Stevie Nicks added from there, We were never able to do that since 1975 because certain people in the band weren't interested in doing that. Now we're able to open the set with a lot, a raucous version of 1969's Rattlesnake Shake or something. I'd also like to do 1970's Station Man, which has always been one of my favorites. We were definitely doing 1970's Oh Well. And that is referencing the set list where it seems to imply that Buckingham only wanted to play music from the Fleetwood Mac era that he was involved in. Right, which is which uh, you can make an argument that that's the only reason they're playing arenas is because of those songs from the two records in the 70s that he was a part of. And uh, I don't don't know. I don't know how many people at this point really are interested in hearing Station Man. Right. I mean, it's great music that they that Fleetwood Mac created before uh, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined the band, but it didn't have that mass appeal that it did Mm-mm. after you heard rumors. Now, Buckingham did respond to, he didn't respond, he gave his side of the story during a campaign fundraiser for a California politician. He told the crowd, for me personally, probably some of you know that for the last three months, I have sadly taken leave of my band of 43 years, Fleetwood Mac. This was not something that was really my doing or of my choice. I think what you would say is that there were factions within the band that had lost their perspective. What that did was to harm, and this is the only thing I'm really sad about. The rest of it becomes an opportunity. It harmed the 43-year legacy that we had worked so hard to build, and that legacy was really about rising above difficulties in order to fulfill one's higher truth and one's higher destiny. And those difficulties were when he left the band the other time, so it's not really 43 years. Some people have questioned that. But if you've seen Fleetwood Mac perform, uh, Lindsey Buckingham at this point has been the focus of the entire show. He runs the whole thing. Uh, Fleetwood and Mac, John McVie and Mick Fleetwood are way in the back. They're the rhythm section, right? And the focus, for the most part, is on Lindsey Buckingham. The last time I saw them play, it was without Christine McVie, so it was him. It was like his show with uh, Fleetwood Mac backing him up for the most part and Stevie Nicks singing. But then again, he went on tour last year with Christine McVie. They released an album. They toured. That was all fine. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how this all, you know, what it was, but it's kind of cool when you think that Mike Campbell is going to be in the band because he's an incredible guitarist, different kind of guitarist than, than Lindsey Buckingham. Lindsey Buckingham is a virtuoso, an incredible finger-picking guitarist. Uh, Mike Campbell is, you know, he's a pretty good rock guitarist. So I think it's going to change the way the band 
uh, approaches those songs. So maybe they can do those older songs. Yeah. Well, and having performed with the Heartbreakers, you know, alongside Tom Petty after Tom Petty's passing, it's great to see that he'll have that same opportunity to showcase his talents in front of mm-hmm. a massive amount of people. You know, yeah. instead of being relegated to performing, you know, the Heartbreakers perform Tom Petty with a different frontman. Um, I, I just don't think that has the same appeal as going alongside Fleetwood Mac, where people who knew of him, knew of his work with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, but never been exposed to it, mm-hmm. are now going to be exposed to it. I would have liked to have heard Mike Campbell and Lindsey Buckingham in the same group together. Yeah. Because one of the things that I liked the most about seeing Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers were the uh, guitar duels that uh, Tom and uh, Mike Campbell would have. I mean, they would just go off and play... Uh, you know, competing leads basically. It was mm-hmm. kind of fun. So I don't. I think that would be would have been fun to to see and experience that with Lindsey Buckingham. But you know, whatever. They're so I don't even know if that's a feud with Fleetwood Mac. It's, really, it's it, it's kind of like no one really knows what's going on. Everyone's seemingly saying different things. That it sounds like it's revolving around mm-hmm. scheduling conflicts. Yeah. But now people are like Mick Fleetwood talking about personality. Same with Stevie Nicks and. Now Lindsey Buckingham saying it's going to ruin the legacy that they've built. So it's a whole mishmash of right. arguments that are taking place. But what I'm really interested to see is how this tour plays out for Fleetwood Mac, how their ticket sales are going to go. They have two sho- two shows here in Chicago, mm-hmm. one show here in Chicago, I can't remember. Arena shows, right, at United yeah, Center? Yeah, at United Center to see how this will play out in comparisons to past tours or the last time that they toured as a full band if it's going to generate as much revenue, if the attendance is still going to be up, or if it really doesn't matter, which circles back to my main point, that feuding is good monetarily for artists. Could be. So this is a great case point that we have right in front of us. Could be. Also, it'll be interesting to hear uh, Neil Finn as uh, essentially the lead singer of the band, the lead mm. male singer mm-hmm. uh, of the band. Uh, he has a great voice. You know, We know him from Crowded House, but um, how different will Monday morning sound? Right. You know? So who knows? Well, it'll be interesting. Well, so let's dig into some of the uh, historical feuds there in rock and so, roll history. And you many. found, yeah, you found a great article that really summarizes the major ones. Yes, it gave us a thumbnail sketch of of some of the some of those. And 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 I I, I really put my uh, my mind to it and came up with a couple others that weren't even mentioned in that uh, of more modern bands, mm-hmm. kind of like the Ramones. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, which we'll get to in a little bit. Also, Veruca Salt, which is a big one here in Chicago. That mm-hmm. was a pretty big rivalry where Louise Post and uh, Nina Gordon didn't speak to each other for a long time, over 20 years, breaking that band up prematurely and then uh, reforming a few years ago. Right. So that was a big feud. Those are actual feuds where they just go their separate ways. And in the Ramones, Johnny and Joey Ramone didn't speak to each other in the band for well over 20 years, even though they continued to tour, continued to record, they did not speak to each other for over 20 years. So they would go about their business. Just go when about in their time business. In studio or on right. stage, they'd be cordial with one another. Once that was over, they went their separate ways. And in both of those bands, it was not so much uh, creative differences, but it was personal differences that had to do with um, um, with uh, what uh, with a girlfriend or mm-hmm. a boyfriend where uh, Johnny Ramone kind of stole Joey Ramone's girlfriend, and that set the stage for them not speaking for over 20 years. And in Veruca Salt, um, it was uh, maybe sort of the same kind of thing that uh, split them up. Right. At the height of their of their popularity. 
Right. Yeah, and I remember they reformed 2015, 2016. We did a live from Studio X yes, show with them. Yes, we did, and they were and, and they were friendly again. And it, uh, at some point, they started talking to each other because they were both mothers, they were both moms in, uh, in marriages, and uh, they bonded on that, on child-rearing. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, we should probably just maybe try to do this again. Yeah. You know, as, as so many years had passed. Yeah. Now, when Veruca Salt reformed, they did go on a tour. Did mm-hmm. they release another album after they reformed, or is it just a... Just the one, yeah. Okay. Did they gain as much notoriety as they had in the 20 years prior to them breaking up, or was them they broke up at the height of their popularity and them reforming too much time had passed before, you know, people could really get who they were, get mm-hmm. what their whole story is about, and it only served a niche fan base? Well, I, I, they certainly didn't probably didn't gain any new new fans you know that's a that's a hard thing to do to come back after 20 years mm-hmm. and do that and but it was more than a nostalgia thing i mean it was a it was a really good solid record and they performed it well i saw them perform not only at the studio x but uh at other shows and uh you know they rocked it up they had a great time they put the whole band the original band back together which had warney that original band wasn't i don't i don't think that was the band for the second album anyway so they put the whole thing together and it was i guess it was maybe nostalgia involved and certainly was fun for them and fun for their fans yeah and did you get the sense that this was a one-off thing for them that they could close the book on this stage of their career or was it reopening it to potentially new material well that was all new material for that record um but i i I really don't know what what happened in the aftermath of that i don't know Mm mm-hmm yeah, well, so we've seen we, we've seen the personal beefs in this case, uh, but going between inner band beefs mm-hmm. where it's due to creative differences, as we have with John Lennon versus Paul McCartney, Roger Waters versus David Gilmour, uh, and Pink Floyd, the common theme between all this is that time seemingly heals all wounds, but it can get kind of nasty in the moment. Uh, going to David Gilmour and Roger Waters. In a Rolling Stone article, which it, the one that we were referencing, portraying music's 30 fiercest feuds and beefs, uh, <laughs> it came a pretty nasty account of Roger Waters, uh, said that he forced his way to become the central figure of the band. And in 1987, Gilmore told, told that to Rolling Stone before adding, there is no point in Gilmore, Mason, or Wright trying to write lyrics because they'll never be as good as mine. Gilmore lyrics are very third rate. Do you see... Any feuding like that, any harsh comments like that affecting the creative output of bands in a positive manner? Or no. does it demise everything? Well, all it did was essentially break that band up. I mean, Pink Floyd did continue to tour because David Gilmore was able to uh, maintain legal rights to the name Pink Floyd for some reason. he I think that was a court decision. Uh, but Roger Waters, I mean, come on, mm-hmm. he's... Pretty much the creative force of that band, and in their heyday, in the great, great Pink Floyd records, those are all essentially Roger Waters love letters to Sid Barrett mm-hmm. for the most part. David Gilmour played great guitar, but he wasn't even an original member of that band. He came on later. Right. Roger Waters was one of the, is the founding member of that band, and also the guy who kept that band going. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, he wrote the wall essentially. That's all his. Uh, Wish You Were Here is pretty much all his. Uh, and we'll never see that again because they're never going to work together. The Pink Floyd albums that came in the 80s, um, while they were still you know, quality records, they paled in comparison to what Pink Floyd did in the 70s yeah. when Roger Waters was there. Roger Waters' solo records, 
have always paled in comparison too. I mean, this is these are people who should be playing. If they're going to make music, it certainly worked better when they played it all together. But, you know, that will never happen again. They'll probably never tour again. They'll never do a show together. I would not think. If they did, they would make scads of money. But David Gilmore has no interest in doing this. He has he pretty much has been uh, quoted as saying that he, what they did, they did. He doesn't need the money. He's already made enough money. He doesn't need to go out on the road and, you know, go through any kind of... Um, you know, uncomfortable situations or intolerable situations mm-hmm. with Roger Waters. They're just not going to do that. Yeah. Well, and all of them can tour just based off of their name, whether or not they have new material that has come out. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen, Roger Waters, David Gilmore, both recently had massive arena shows. And I think, um, you know, David Gilmore may have played an intimate set, but it was at the Auditorium Theater, which still holds thousands of people. Right. But that's about that's about his ceiling, mm-hmm. you know. Well, the most recent thing that they tried to do together at the band, as a band, was in 2014 with the Endless River, where Gilmore and Mason uh, dusted off some old demos that they had in anticipation of the new Pink Floyd album. But Roger Waters declined to participate in the project. So I think that shows us that even though they may have been cordial with one another, having appeared um, at the uh, Live Eight charity that event, that was pretty great when yeah. they did that. I mean, that you know, when they. When they play, okay, you, you were talking about how uh, the feuds actually help record sales. And yes. in the hip-hop world, that is true. And those could be manufactured feuds, who knows. But when Pink Floyd played at Live 8, and they only played like, what, three or four songs? Yeah, it was a short set. The, the Pink Floyd, Floyd catalog skyrocketed through the moon. Um, dark side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and other sides as well. Um <laughs> Yeah, they they sold uh, their their catalog just uh, had an incredible spike in sales uh, based on those, and if, of course everybody started thinking like, wow, if they toured, how much revenue would this would this uh, make? How much? How big would these shows be? How much could they charge for tickets? A lot. They probably could. Yeah. But like I said, Gilmore has no interest in it. So. Yeah. Well, and I think this brings us back to that's an interesting comparison with what we were talking about Veruca Salt earlier, who, you know, maybe been a more mainstay Chicago band. Where these singular instances where the band can come together will have short term effects afterwards, but in the long run, maybe it's not beneficial for the band. You know, if they if they can come together temporarily, they're gonna make a boatload of money off the reunion, mm-hmm. off of new fans that are getting into their older material and just are aware of the significance of the moment. Yeah. That could have immediate ramifications, but for the long-term health of the band, maybe it's better to have that happen. Yeah, maybe. I think in Veruca Salt's case, it was just uh, they, they felt that that they never really um, attained their, their potential, you know, that they cut it off short. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they just thought at this point in their lives, which they have lives going on that aren't in music, really, yeah. um, that they could do this and, and have fun doing it, and they did. So that's kind of a cool thing, but I don't know. Some of these, uh, some of these feuds are just, uh, are, are they're classic rock feuds, you know, like the Who, for example, the 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 feud in the Who between Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, uh, that's been going on since the '70s, and and a lot of times it's just in interviews where they they say things back and forth. But they played a a, a benefit show, it was one of Townsend's benefit shows for Maryville, at uh, House of Blues, mm-hmm. and it was the Who. It was it was it was the band the Who is the only time they did that and Whistles was still alive, Daltrey was in the band and it was intimate because you're at a House of Blues and people in the audience kept yelling out for uh, requests and there was a guy who was standing near the front who was requesting some song and 
Townsend just said, no, we don't play requests, you know. And then Daltrey's standing next to him, and he's, like, apologizing to the guy. In the middle of the show. In the middle of the show, he's <laughs> sort of apologizing. And then I forget what song it was. And then he sings a few words of the song into the microphone without the rest of the band playing. He just <laughs> does that. And Townsend says, oh, you're such a freak, uh, such a, a blanking people pleaser. Yeah. <laughs> and you could see that, oh, my God, the way he said it, you're such a people pleaser that that probably is something that has been with that band forever. Yeah. Forever, going all the way back. You know, that Daltrey just wanted to play to the audience. Right. And Townsend wanted to do his own thing. I mean, it was weird. It's it odd to see that play out. It on was a stage. cool thing to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't fun. quite. It wasn't quite the Gallagher brothers on stage. Well, there's a great story which you can find on YouTube right now of their MTV Unplugged set when Oasis was together. I think it was in the the, the late '90s. I don't remember the exact date. Yeah. But Oasis was going to go on MTV's Unplugged, and they had three days of rehearsals leading up to the show. And producers of Unplugged had no idea whether or not Liam Gallagher was actually going to show up because in every day leading up to rehearsal, he would sing less and less and less. And he kept pointing to his throat saying, oh, I have a sore throat. I need to save my voice. And the band said that they saw Gallagher out and about, hitting up the town, boozing it up, just having a grand old time. And no one really knew what was going on. And Oasis is already known for their unpredictable tendencies as it was. Well, the day the show came, Liam Gallagher walks out with the band they play their first song and afterwards he just leaves the stage doesn't want anything to do with it says noel you're in charge sing the rest of the songs noel gallagher steps up to the plate starts singing the songs he said that he sounded great he was happy thought he killed the moment but the cameras found liam gallagher in one of the sky boxes of the venue bottles of champagne beer boozing it up and when he finally realizes the camera spotted him he just launches into heckling noel Right, he heckled his brother. Gives him the finger, starts calling him all these different names, which I can't really he say He was not right unplugged. Now. No, he was not <laughs> unplugged. That stuff, A, is hilarious. Great yeah. entertainment fodder. Uh, great, great gossip just to chat about. And it's a very unique spectacle. But unlike the other ones, those are sibling rivalries where that stuff, you know, whatever personal differences they had, plays out in any form. They've had fistfights on band, uh, on stage. Oasis, where they actually have physical altercations with each other. That's crazy. Yeah. And there was one case where a fight broke out between the two of them, and then they started singing again, but then Liam took his tambourine and whipped it (laughs) at Noel's head. (laughs) But, you know, Liam Gallagher, you never know what he's going to do at Lollapalooza. He stopped playing, and there was no Noel there. There was no Noel there to react against. He just reacted against whatever is going on in his head. He's crazy. Here's my thing with them. That spectacle and the potential that something absolutely insane is going to happen is reason enough for me to purchase a ticket to the show. Just to see what might happen. I mean, it's you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not the biggest Oasis yeah, but they're, fan. They're, not, but it's, they're never going to play again right. together. But That's even, never going to happen. But You're even not Liam have Gallagher that. by himself. Yeah, you don't know the unpredictable. I don't want to go to a show where I know the guy's going to quit after 15 minutes. <laughs> he did the same thing at Park West that same weekend last year. He didn't finish that show either. Nothing. No. So like, why even do this? <laughs> and Noel Gallagher says that the the saddest thing about this is that we'll never hear these. Um, Oasis songs performed by the band again. Well, reportedly around Christmas time last year, 
Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher were in a brief truce with one another. Because they had to go home for Christmas? Probably. They had to go to their mom's house. Yeah, and, and have, their mom probably said, either of you act up, you're, you know, you're out of the house, I don't want to see you again, or whatever it was. But they apparently reached a truce that was naturally short-lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liam Gallagher went on a Twitter rampage saying that he asked members of Oasis for a reunion, but they weren't up to it. <laughs> uh you know whether or not that's true. I, I can't remember if other Why members of the want band to responded. Deal with it? Yeah, I don't blame them. Deal with those guys. Uh, then he went on just to slam Noel. I guess Noel said that. You know, I, I don't know exactly what he said, but Liam tweeted, "As for being undignified to play stadiums at fifty, it's a lot more undignified to be supporting the undignified in stadiums like Red Hot Chili Peppers and U2." Who Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds was opening oh, up for? Oh, I know. In the European yeah, yeah. Tour. He had a lot of things to say about you too. And he added, "I've been stealing his thunder since the day I was born." Well, you know that folds pretty well right into uh, the Kinks, uh, Dave and Ray Davies. Uh, they've had this uh, feud that's been going on, I'm sure, since they were children. Oh yeah. And a lot of it has to do with uh, basic, standard Cain and Abel brother sibling rivalry. Um, where Ray is older and has always treated Dave as uh, not insignificant, but certainly not on his uh, on his plane, not mm-hmm. on his level. Yeah, it's been going on for 50 years, well over that. Dave had a great quote. He said, I think Ray has been happy for only three years in his life, and those <laughs> were the three years before I was born. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. That was a good one. And he said... Uh, You've heard of vampires? Well, Ray sucks me dry of ideas, emotions, and creativity. He's a control freak. We're like a sad old couple, only we can't get divorced. When uh, Dave had his 50th birthday party, which was a while ago, Ray showed up at the party and flung the cake to the ground and stomped on it. He said, Ray wants me to have things, but he he can't stand to see me have them. You know, another uh, set of brothers who don't speak are the uh, Nofflers. How did did they perform together at uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last a couple weeks ago? You know, I'm not sure. Let me look that up real quick. They uh, they don't speak, evidently. We're gonna have, we're gonna have some brief googling here. Pardon me. But in the Kinks, it's all about Ray. Right. Well, wasn't the, that an album? It's all about Ray. It's all about Ray. Oh no, it's a shame about Ray. Here's another great story from uh, the Davies brothers. So in 2004, Dave suffered a serious stroke. And Ray invited Dave to stay at his home, you know, to take care of him, to be together in a time of need when things could head south really, really quickly. However, their uh, sibling rivalry got rejuvenated with uh, him saying, I was still ill in bed and could barely move, but he started saying, I'm sick, I'm sick. He was screaming in pain from his stomach. A medical examination revealed nothing out of the ordinary. He just wanted attention, said yeah, Dave. Yeah, he's an attention uh, grabber, uh, according to Dave. And uh, also what upsets Dave a lot is the, uh, you know, the riff, the riff from You Really Got Me, which uh, the legend has it that uh, Dave took a screwdriver and uh, destroyed the, uh, the uh, speaker in the amp, mm-hmm. which, gave, which gave that guitar sound, the distortion, whereas now uh, Ray in uh, One Man Shows takes credit for it, says that he did that. Although some people say it was Jimmy Page playing it anyway, so <laughs> who knows? so who knows? But uh, but that upsets Dave uh, a lot because it's you know one of the great things that he did, and Ray tries to take the spotlight away from him, doesn't want to give him credit for anything, right? And I think if you ask most people to name a King song, that'll be the one that they name. It's kind of the one that, and, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the one. That's the big one. So I wonder, 
you know, these feuds like between them, I mean, are well documented. The Gallagher brothers, it's apparent on social media that Liam does not give two flying craps what he posts about his brother or really about anyone else. Right. I really would love to see how that impacts, you know, their album sales or ticket sales to the show. If I don't know. If if that really does anything to help the artists or if this is really just unnecessary in 2018 because a lot of these are you know from classic rock artists these people that have old, cultivated old a thing. long um relationship with one another outside of the gallagher brothers the most recent feud that has been this well documented has been um jack white and the black keys which, which was like a fakey feud it was anyway. dismissed and it's a fakey yeah. feud they all made up on that and uh i i, I recall when jack white did his first uh, little screed his little rant about uh, how uh, how uh, Dan Auerbach came to Nashville and wanted to have his career two-person band comes to Nashville opens the studio why is he doing everything that we do I hear his songs and commercials but and they say that it's uh, you know he's he, for selling out and all that stuff and even his kids were going to the same school as Jack's and Jack was upset about that because now I'm going to have to sit next to him for 12 years at parent-teacher meetings and stuff like that, which I think would be an amazing parent-teacher meeting to see Jack White at That'd be great. a parent-teacher meeting along with Dan Auerbach. And I remember Dan at the time saying, I don't even know what he's talking about. I don't even know him. I don't know him. Yeah. Why, w- why would this happen? Well, and Patrick Carney made up, <laughs> made up a rumor that he saw Jack White in Manhattan in a Manhattan bar and they fought one another. Right. And basically, like, you know, Patrick Carney likes to stir up trouble on Twitter as is. He basically reneged on that and said, nah, this never really happened. We're all good. I like Jack as a musician. So Right. They all apologized and then that was over and you've never heard another word about it again until we just brought it up. Right. You know? So it won't be talked about until Rock Feuds Part 2 podcast. Rock Feuds Part (laughs) 2. That'd be a great... There are a lot of feuds in metal. There are. Yeah. Yeah. There's one. There's There there was that one... uh, like Norwegian band where one of the members killed the other killed a member in the band. What band was that? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. I remember reading about that it was gruesome. I mean that's yeah. that's taking it too far. Right. And the same thing with hip hop. I mean, you know, those uh if, if there's a real feud, that can end up in murder as it did with Tupac and Biggie. Right? Well that that New York Times article I was referencing earlier, um, one of the label heads brought up that point to people that are on their label that are feuding with one another. He said, Remember, it's great from album sales, but you can't take back um someone's death. Actually death, death is really good for album sales. Yeah, death well. is the best thing for <laughs> album sales. If you can die, your you're sales your sales spike for sure. You you know, it just goes through the ceiling. Yeah, well, that's a little too grim. We won't go down there. But it's true. It's true. Well, so going back to Dire Straits, I haven't answered your question. Okay. So both of the Knopfler brothers were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of Dire Straits. However, David was not at the induction ceremony. No, he wasn't. And the reason he gave is that the Rock Hall was reneging on its promise to pay his full travel bills. And uh, the drummer, Pick Withers, also wasn't there, but he hasn't delivered public comments on it so so it's all about just getting a ticket pretty much and getting his also the fact that he hasn't it. spoken to his brother in uh 25 years i was gonna say i think if you're part of dire straits you could probably afford to get your own travel they must be really upset though the dire straits guys because Knopfler went off he's recorded more solo records than there were dire straits albums yeah he's had quite a solo career yeah <laughs> They're probably upset about that. There's a there, there's a great Onion article. It's one of my favorites headlines that they've ever written. That uh, I think it said the uh, 
the Fed recommends putting away 25% of your savings in hopes of a dire straits reunion one day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, those are big feuds, though, when someone leaves the band and goes off on on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the Supremes. When uh, Diana Ross became uh, when it became Diana Ross and, right. and the Supremes, right? Right, that's a big deal. Yeah, um, or John Frusciante leaving the Red Hot Chili Peppers more recently with um, Josh Klinghoffer replacing him. That was a pretty big deal for Chili Peppers fans because you had people who have known nothing but John Frusciante as the Chili Peppers guitarist, right. and he's contributed to some of their most iconic work, and he up and leaves to pursue his own material and hasn't really been heard from since. You, you see people online who will just completely crap all over anything they do simply because he's not in the band anymore, and by all accounts, they seem to be cordial. They haven't commented publicly on it, so there could be some stuff going on, but they're taking the high road and not dragging each mm-hmm. other down in the mud with everything. Right. Well, you know, a, a band only has a, a short time to make really great records, and even the best of them uh, all did it in a small uh, span of time, mm-hmm. you know, and then you just keep doing it and keep playing and playing and playing. The Rolling Stones have had feuds over the years. Oh, yeah. Between uh, Mick and Keith. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that uh, that Mick was very happy about Keith's book Life, where he described uh, the size of, uh, of of his member, <laughs> called it a, a Tony Dodger, <laughs> a Tony Dodger. Well, there's you know? another another great feud involving Keith Richards and Elton John. That's this the was, weirdest. This thing. was the funniest one that I read on here. That's I, a weird one. Once again, if you're listening and want to look this up for your own, it's called Music's Thirty Fiercest Feuds and Beefs, found on Rolling Stone. So Elton John and Keith Richards had a feud with one another. In a 1975 Rolling Stones concert in Fort Collins, Colorado, the band brought out uh, Elton John on stage to perform a song with them. Mm-hmm. John stayed on stage for 10 total songs. 10 and songs. He took over the Keith. whole set. What was he thinking? I mean, it's Elton John. He can get away with it, but you got you to gotta know you're invading the other artist's space at that point. I don't know. Maybe it was a night thing between him and, uh, Keith, and uh, Mick. Who knows? That's true. How about the feud with uh, Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah. That one is incredible. Paul Simon is, uh, has not treated him very well. No. They hate Get each this. other. It goes back, their feud goes back to 1957, before they were Simon and Garfunkel, when uh, Garfunkel decided to go to school, focus on his academic career, and Simon inked a solo side deal, a record deal, on his own. And Garfunkel took it as a serious betrayal when he learned of his musical partner's extracurricular endeavors and the incident would be a sore point for the decades to come. <laughs> That's an understatement. And even if they gained, when they gained global fame as Simon and Garfunkel in the mid-60s, those long-held resentments made that union a ticking time bomb. And when uh, Garfunkel started acting, he was uh, cast in the movie Catch-22, mm-hmm. directed by Mike Nichols, and Paul Simon was cast in that film as well. They were cast in it together. But Paul Simon, uh, I guess, wasn't acting very well, or for some reason his part was next, and Garfunkel decided to continue doing it, and the filming took a year, and they couldn't tour. They couldn't do anything, and uh, Simon was frustrated by it. And when he came back, uh, it didn't really repair their relations. And then there was a problem over songs on Bridge Over Troubled Water. And then once they went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it still was alive on stage. 
where Garfunkel started off sincerely saying, I want to thank most of all the person who has most enriched my life by putting these great songs through me, my friend Paul. And Simon came back and quipped, it's true, I have enriched his life quite a bit now that I think about it. (laughs) Arthur and I agree about almost nothing, but yes, it's true that I have enriched his life. That's incredible. You know what's even crazier is that feud started in 1957, Mm -hmm. and they were able to write their most iconic work while all this was going on. Yeah, well, I guess Paul needed that high voice to sing, uh, sing some of those songs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know it's crazy, right? Huh. Well, that Ramones feud too is very bizarre. I I was so surprised when I found that out that they had not spoken to each other during most of the career, most of their career as a band. How do that's you do incredible. that? How do you yeah. do that? I mean, even think about the songwriting process of you know whoever it is presenting an idea to the band, mm-hmm. and you know each band differs with the level of ego involved as right. to whether or not they can actually give input, but just. Someone saying, you know, I like the way this sounds. How about we do this here? That there was no communication like that. Right. Um, I think Johnny Ramone was uh, was a tough guy. A t- a t- he was a tough guy mm-hmm. and, and a tough guy to uh, to be friends with, but a huge baseball fan. Yeah. Big baseball fan. Did that feud ever get resolved? No. No, everybody's dead. They all died. The whole band is dead. They all died. I mean, I know that, but they, they all took no. it to their grave. No, they took it to the grave. Fighting one another. Took it to the grave. That's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah, but- I know. There's a laundry list that we could go on for the rest of the day, but we won't waste your time with We're not going to talk about <laughs> Little Kim and Foxy Brown? Uh, you know, maybe we'll save that for part two. Okay. Part two of the podcast. So what? What have we resolved anything here? Uh, these are just... Uh, I think you supported my argument when you said that Pink Floyd's record sales went up following their 2005 performance at Live Aid. That was when they reformed, not right. when they broke up. See, uh, you know, I got I to gotta do some more research. Admittedly... I, I focused a lot on the hip-hop data where it did mm-hmm. provide that concrete info saying there was the increase in sales. I didn't find much information in the way of rock and roll. So this is just purely perception, not fact-based. Call me an idiot. Whatever I mean, you'd like, I can take it. But. The funny thing about rock and roll these days, especially in indie rock, is everybody is so nice and everybody just gets along and those bands you know, pretty pretty much do well. Yeah. well, that's, not, not a lot of those big uh, ego fights. That's what we talked about uh in one of the last podcasts we did together where we talked about interviewing different artists and you mentioned mm-hmm. how that's evolved over the years where bands are much more cordial with one another, cordial right. with the media. Why Why do you think we don't hear about as many feuds in rock and roll as we have in years past? Probably because the egos aren't quite as huge. I don't know. They all kind of need each other to yeah. survive. It's a rough industry. I don't know how well you 2 gets along together, but it, you know, going back to that we were talking about earlier, they really seem to. Um, they may go their separate ways after a show, you know, but um, but they're still able to uh, have enough love for each other to be creative yeah. together. You know, Bono's got to be difficult to, to deal with on a on a regular basis. But I think the re- what keeps that band together is uh, Larry Mullen. That's his band. Mm-hmm. You know, you forget about that. It's kind of, U2 is his band. It's always like, oh, Bono's coming to town. Uh, the reason that band is still together is Larry Mullen. He yeah. started it. He They hired Bono after they had already been together. Um, he's the heart and soul of that band, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Well, hopefully we don't run into money issues with them in the near future, because that'd be a shame. Or yeah. really, really any of these bands are talking about, you know, if... The drama overtakes the desire to create music and to perform and to really have them do what they want to do. 
mm-hmm. and that's perform music and why they got into it in the first place. Well, maybe it's also because, like, in as you said, rock is has been somewhat diminished in terms of uh, record sales and the big stars of rock and and all that. It's not like it was in the past, mm-hmm. you know, with uh, with the gigantic egos, right? And I'm wondering, and this is a whole separate discussion of that's good for rock and roll in the future because everyone talks about. I shouldn't say everyone talks about, but you see a lot of articles talking about the demise of rock and roll, how mm-hmm. rock and roll is dead, which has been a quip that's been going on for a long time now. Is feuding good for rock and roll ultimately? Is it something that can help restore relevancy and get that name recognition where someone's scrolling across Twitter or Facebook and saying, oh, St. Vincent said what? What you doing? Or is that ultimately <laughs> going to hurt them? You know, I... I battle with that i wonder if that really uh, is gonna no, that be other that stuff positive. is just that other stuff is just gossip yeah you know yeah. i think yeah i don't know when are the national when, when are those all those brothers gonna start fighting each other like it would just break out into a brawl on stage <laughs> brother versus brother versus brother versus brother six-man tag team yeah right <laughs> oh, i don't know well it remains to be seen but it's an interesting time and i think going the thing i learned going through all this is that a lot of these are feuds that have been settled in the past. It was a different time and era when this took place. Right, and, and, and also, <laughs> reading about things that happened 40 years ago, so how has that myth and that... When, when have those stories just turned into legend? Right. You know what I mean? I think that, ad, that adds... I mean, that's kind of what of we're it. doing. We're passing down stories. Yeah. <laughs> and really, the biggest feud of all time in show business had to be Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin anyway. Oh, yeah. They didn't speak for like 40 years. Yeah. Well, we'll settle it at that one then. Nothing is going to top that. Nothing tops Martin and Lewis. No Ja Rule, no DMX. Nope. No Liam, no Noel. Nope. Nothing will top that. Nothing tops Jerry and Dean. Well, Marty, we've been talking for almost 45 minutes about this. And we haven't come up with a resolution. Well, it's not. It's not. It's not for us to come up with a resolution. It's for them to resolve their differences, not us. We can only talk about it. Mm. Well, with that being said, we'll leave it to the artist. Marty, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Once again, big thanks to Marty Leonards for joining us on that riveting conversation about rock and roll feuds. And as he so wonderfully put it to end, the resolution is truly up to the artist. So, the latest music news and headlines that have occurred since our last podcast, we're going to start with Neil Young announcing his return to Chicago with two unique shows. And they're unique because they're solo shows, and they'll occur at the Auditorium Theater on June 30th and July 1st. He recently performed a three-concert set with Crazy Horse out in California, and all those shows were completely unrehearsed. If you go to 93XRT.com, you can find footage of the shows. Highly encourage you to do so. Phenomenal performances and just shows the depth of musicianship that Neil Young and Crazy Horse have because they went out there and absolutely killed it every single night. So glad to see that Neil Young will be back in Chicago and keeping our fingers crossed that Maybe one day Crazy Horse will accompany him as well. Other Neil Young news, if you are in the market for a new home, you can own Neil Young's house. His Topanga Canyon home is on the market right now for $1.8 million. So, you know, you got that money lying around. And why not go live where Neil Young lived? He had a recording studio installed inside of his house, and it's a beautiful, beautiful home. 
If you go to our website, 93XRT.com, you can see some photos of it. And he wrote in his 2012 autobiography about the home, the scene in there was always stimulating, full of the colors of the canyon with the artists and other local characters, rug dealers, and beautiful hippie girls. So you want to own Neil Young's home? Now is your opportunity. In other news, the Arctic Monkeys are finally back after a long wait since their previous album, Am, from 2013 with their new album, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Having listened to it, it's a much different feel from previous work that Arctic Monkeys have put out. I've heard it described as loungy, kind of soft rocky in comparison to what they've done before, but it's an ambitious record, and I've enjoyed it the more that I've listened to it. It's one of those records that seemingly grows on you the more you listen, the more that you consume it, the more that you get involved with it. A lot of David Bowie influence is apparent on this record as Alex Turner seemingly transforms himself into the style of David Bowie while still retaining that classic Arctic Monkey sound. So Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino is out right now, and we are looking forward to seeing them at Lollapalooza coming up in just a couple of months. And finally, before we wrap things up today, we have to turn to a blog post I put out earlier on this week that I think you'll find highly entertaining. I surveyed XRT DJs on what the first album they purchased with their own money was, and I got some excellent responses. And this is a, a trip down memory lane for a lot of Chicagoans, as a lot of our DJs went to record stores of years past, whose names you'll surely recognize, uh, to pick up some great albums. So... Head to 93XRT.com that's on our homepage right now, but given a brief overview of it, you can see that Terry Hemmert's uh, first single she bought was Elvis's Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, Mary Dixon, she got Sean Cassidy's first record on vinyl. Lynn Bramer's was the Blue Magoo single, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, from Woolworth's 45 single bin. We have Ryan Arnold, whose first CD was the soundtrack to the film La Bamba, bought it at the Sound Warehouse in Woodridge, Illinois. Emma Max was Under the Table and Dreaming by Dave Matthews Band on CD. And there's plenty of more excellent stories from other XRT DJs about the very first record that they bought and purchased with their own money. You can find plenty of other great stories about records that XRT DJs bought with their own money right now on 93XRT.com. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Inside the Archives podcast. And thanks again to Marty Lenners for joining me. If you're enjoying Inside the Archives and every other podcast on 93XRT, be sure to leave us a review, rate us, like us on whatever platform you're listening to us, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or other podcasting services. And if you haven't done so yet, give us a follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of our handles are at 93XRT. For 93XRT and Inside the Archives, I'm Marty Rosenbaum. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.